Want to get smarter about investing? Then tune in to the Capital Ideas podcast from Capital Group, home of American Funds Distributors, Inc., one of the world's leading asset managers. Each week, we bring you stock market outlooks, macroeconomic updates, and investment strategies that can help you succeed. Learn from portfolio managers with decades of experience about how they navigate uncertain markets. Prepare to be engaged, enlightened, and entertained by listening to the Capital Ideas podcast today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Did you know? There's over 30 known Super Mario games that never saw the light of day. In this video, we'll be going through them all, with some exceptions. We'll leave out games that were rumored to exist but have no reputable proof that they were real, like Mario Kart VB, a reputed Mario Kart game for the Virtual Boy, as well as games that were just earlier versions of release titles, like Super Mario RPG 2 an early title for Paper Mario. We'll also be leaving out games in the Donkey Kong franchise, unless they're related to the original DK Arcade title which Mario first appeared in. But let's get to it. Starting with a few recent discoveries, data backups from Nintendo's archives have been leaking online over the past few years, and in July 2021, the 10th set of data from the Nintendo archives was leaked on 4chan, containing material such as the Wii SDK source code and various builds from Pokemon games. Deep within this data, however, was a document detailing 10 prototypes for the Nintendo Wii, two of which were based on Mario. The first prototype, Koopa Troopa Forest, was a top-down game where players avoid turtles by throwing stones and shooting bullets at them. The second, Mario FPS, is an FPS that takes place in Isle Delfino. Neither of these games have playable ROMs available and only exist as black-and-white photos found in the document. In that same leak, however, a spreadsheet mentions DDR Mario 2 for the Wii, presumably a sequel to Dance Dance Revolution Mario Mix. The game was going to be developed by Konami and was listed as not started yet. It's unknown if any development on the game started, however it's worth noting that a Mario Mix sequel announcement was rumored in 2005, which we covered in our recent Mario Rumors video. While newly discovered titles are always fascinating, let's go back a bit to the oldest game on our list. In 1982, less than a year after the release of the original arcade Donkey Kong, bedroom coders Wayne Westmoreland and Terry Gilman created a personal port of Donkey Kong for the TRS-80 model of computers. The TRS-80 was one of the earliest mass-market home computers. This made a fully functional TRS-80 port of Donkey Kong with all four levels that much more impressive. Despite being finished, the game would never release, as the duo couldn't get permission from Nintendo to publish it. But in 1995, Wayne Westmoreland released all of his titles to the public domain, including the final build of this unreleased port as an extra surprise. Another lost title is Donkey Kong no Ongaku Asobi an educational game designed to teach young players about music. The game had two modes. One was Music Quiz, a memory game where Mario and Pauline hammered notes on a piano while Donkey Kong played music, and the other was Donkey Band, a karaoke game starring Pauline where players sing into the microphone on the second Famicom controller. Music Play would have been the third title in the Famicom Play trilogy were it to be released in December 1983, coinciding with Popeye's English Play and Donkey Kong Jr. Math. In 2016, Ichi Hiroo Sakurada, once a developer at Hudson Soft, revealed on Twitter that there were three reasons why Music Play got scrapped. Its gameplay was weak, it took up too much space on the cart, and it used music from Japanese singer Seiko Matsuda, which Nintendo never had legal permission to use. After its cancellation, a sample cartridge containing a late build of Music Play was sent to Hudson during development of the Family Basic Interpreter. Since Hudson shut down in 2012, it's unknown where the cartridge is presently. From 1983 to 1984, Atari created the Atari Soft branding to publish games on competitors' home computers such as the Commodore 64 and
and Apple II. The brand mainly focused on conversions of arcade games such as Pole Position, Moon Patrol, and even Mario Brothers. California-based developer Designer Software was contracted to create Mario Brothers ports for the C64, VIC-20, Apple II, and DOS computers. All four of these ports were completed, but due to Warner selling Atari's consumer division to former Commodore boss Jack Tramiel in 1984, Atari Soft got discontinued and none of these ports were released. According to designer software programmer Jimmy Huey in a 2005 interview with Retro Gaming Times Monthly, Atari's quality assurance reported a giant list of bugs in his finished product, which seemed odd to him as he viewed the game as relatively bug-free. Jimmy theorizes that this could be a way to justify the cancellation. A cracked version of the Apple II port was leaked in the 80s and spread around via piracy, while Commodore 64 had a different unrelated port in the UK years later done by Ocean Software. Note that home computer versions of Donkey Kong and Donkey Kong Jr. were also being developed by Atarisoft, but were also cancelled for the same reason. Atari was also planning to release Mario Brothers on the Atari XE computer, the final model in their line of 8-bit computers. The hardware used on these systems was identical to that of the then-new Atari 5200, so programmer Bob Merrill converted his 5200 work to the XE. Despite being shown off at the Summer Consumer Electronics show, in 1983, the port would not see release until 1988 when Atari put out several titles that got previously scrapped. However, what released wasn't Merrill's game, but rather a completely new version created by Sculptured Software. It's unknown as to why Atari did this, but some have theorized that they may have lost the source code to the original port. Thankfully, a near-final prototype of Merrill's game was found and released on the internet by Atari enthusiast and preservationist Matt Reichert. In mid-1987, British game publisher Firebird attempted to pitch a Commodore 64 port of Super Mario Bros. to Nintendo. Developers Gary Lydon and Gary Penn created a demo in just a few weeks, with Lydon rebuilding the first level from scratch, while Penn eyeballed the graphics off a television. Impressed with their work, a developer at fellow UK publisher Telecomsoft contacted Nintendo to see if they wanted to work with Firebird. Nintendo said no, and the project got dropped. Interestingly though, Firebird also attempted a Mario clone for the Commodore 64 titled Crucial Brothers a few years later, albeit with different developers, but this did not go anywhere either. In September 1990, years before Doom's creation, id Software developers John Carmack, John Romero, Adrian Carmack, and Tom Hall attempted to port Super Mario Bros. 3 to DOS computers. The group, then known as Ideas from the Deep, or IFD, recreated the first level of Mario 3 from scratch and substituted Mario with Dangerous Dave, a character previously seen in Apple II titles by John Romero. This demo was jokingly referred to as Dangerous Dave in copyright infringement and was possible due to a unique scrolling technique Carmack created that redrew each changed tile every frame, rather than the entire screen. After spending 72 straight hours polishing up the demo, it sent a copy of the game to Nintendo of America for approval. As John Romero calls, the prototype made its way to the company offices in Kyoto, where it got rejected, as they did not want their intellectual property on anything but their hardware. Nevertheless, Nintendo was impressed with their work. Not wanting to put their scrolling technique to waste, the technology would find its way to the next title by id, Commander Keen and Invasion of the Vorticons. A few copies of the demo were passed around the industry on floppy disk, and in July 2021, a copy was donated to the Strong Museum of Play in Rochester, New York, where it was safely preserved. One of the most mysterious games on our list is Mario's Planet Quest. In July of 2021, Andrew Borman, digital games curator at the previously mentioned Strong Museum of Play, uncovered a game called Mario's Planet Quest, listed on the resume of a former software toolworks developer. The only information given was that it was developed for the Super Nintendo and was an educational game similar to Mario's Time Machine, which the developer also listed on their resume. Given the title, it's a safe bet that the game would have revolved around Mario traveling to space and learning about the solar system, clicking on objects for more information. Software Toolworks composer Mark Knight lists a similar game on his website called Mario's Mission Earth, which is likely the same game as the one uncovered by Borman. Super Mario's Wacky Worlds was a platform game developed by Nova Logic for the ill-fated Philips CDI console. Planned as a successor to Super Mario World, the game follows Mario as he treks through jungles, castles, cities, ancient Greece, and ancient Egypt. As you can see from the unfinished prototype that was dumped online, the game is very rudimentary, with Mario being unable to swim, collect power-ups, or be hurt by enemies. Comanche developer Nova Logic made an early one-level demo of the game in under two weeks, with programmer 
Silas Warner of Castle Wolfenstein fame and John Brooks leading the project. After getting approval from Phillips, the group continued their work, aiming to create something that stayed true to the series. However, due to several staff leaving the company and the poor sales of the CDI, Wacky Worlds was scrapped. In an interview with researcher Frank Gasking for the book The Games That Weren't, Novologic artist Nina Stanley said, I think the real reason that Wacky Worlds was cancelled was due to changes in personnel. The lead engineer on the project, John Brooks, decided to leave and work for EA. When a replacement programmer wasn't found to continue the project, I also left and went to EA, and the game was ultimately cancelled. According to Stanley, around 80% of the art and 30% of the programming were completed before production halted. At least four prototypes of Wacky Worlds are known to exist, with one being sold on eBay in 2002 for over $1,000. Another unreleased game for the CDI is Mario Takes America. Around 1994, Toronto-based developer Sigum Entertainment pitched an educational title starring Mario to Phillips where he traveled across the United States to learn more about places like New York, Niagara Falls, and Hollywood. The game would have featured live-action FMV of these locations, with a 2D Mario rendered over it Roger Rabbit style. The live-action backgrounds took up most of the game's memory, making it a hard project for the programmers, one of which reportedly left Sigum fewer than three weeks after being hired. While doing research for this video, Did You Know Gaming was able to get in touch with animation director Michael Borthwick, who told us a little more about the game's production. Borthwick told us, Many sequences were done, but it was taking very long to get things working properly as the machine really could not handle what we were trying to do. Sigum founder Howard Greenspan likely failed to realize the limits of the machine right off the bat and kept over-promising the look and playability of the game to Phillips. For example, we had a full 12-frame Mario walk cycle that had to be reduced to 6 frames because the CDI player could not handle playing 12 frames plus video plus collision detection plus the other sprites. Late in development, Sigum tried creating a backup game that replaced Mario with Sonic the Hedgehog. A second backup game was also made with two original characters, a rock and roll duo named Heavy and Metal. Not impressed by their work, Phillips cut all funding, and the game was quickly cancelled. Sigum would file for bankruptcy in 1994, and most of the company's assets were repossessed by the Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce. Around late 1994, Argonaut Software pitched a 3D platforming game for the Super Nintendo titled Yoshi Racing. An unidentified artist at the company created a non-playable demo of the dinosaur running around an obstacle course, which would have used the same Super FX technology seen in games like Star Fox and Stunt Race FX. Argonaut co-founder Jez San sent videos of the demo to Nintendo hoping for approval, but much to his dismay, they got rejected. Along with the recent cancellation of Star Fox 2, this response is considered a stake in Argonaut's departure from the company. A few years later, Nintendo would come out with a 3D platformer of their own, Super Mario 64. In a 2013 Eurogamer article, San alleged that Nintendo borrowed the 3D platforming concept from Argonaut, claiming that Shigeru Miyamoto thanked him for the idea at a trade show. It is unknown how accurate this claim is, as no one other than San and Miyamoto would be able to confirm it. In 1997, Argonaut released an original 3D platformer for Windows, PlayStation 1, and Sega Saturn, Croc, Legend of the Gabos. Rumors have circulated that Yoshi was the inspiration for Croc's design. Lead designer Nick Cussworth refutes this, saying that Croc's appearance came from a series of doodles by Argonaut IT member Simon Keating. In July of 2020, shortly following the infamous Nintendo Giga Leak on 4chan, a single Super FX model of Yoshi was found deep within its files. Contrary to popular belief, this model had zero relation to Yoshi Racing and was likely used for a different project entirely. At the 1995 Winter Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas, a tech demo was unveiled for the then-new Virtual Boy, called Mario Brothers VB. The single-level demo had three different modes, a side-scroller where you could move between the background and the foreground like in Virtual Boy Wario Land, a top-down dungeon section similar to the Legend of Zelda series, and a mini-game identical to the original Mario Brothers arcade title. Despite receiving high praise at the show and getting good coverage in magazines like Game Pro and EGM, Mario Bros. VB never got shown again. It's unknown as to why the game was cancelled, or if it progressed any further than the CES demo. Some have theorized that the demo eventually evolved into Mario Clash for the Virtual Boy, but this is yet to be confirmed by Nintendo. In 2016, video game preservation website Nintendo Player released an article discussing an odd concept art piece from their collection. The art was a five-panel storyboard of Mario running through what looked like to be ruins of a building. Mario steps 
over a stone slab, which suddenly sprouts eyes and legs, turning into a womp-like creature. Little was known about the storyboard until Nintendo player tracked down the original owner to a man named Patrick Michael Clark, former lead artist at the now-defunct Redmond-based Boss Game Studios. After contacting another dev at Boss Game, Nintendo player confirmed Patrick's board was drawn in the mid to late 90s for a pitch that died on the vine after Nintendo saw the concept art. Following this failed project, Boss Game Studios would begin making third-party games for the Nintendo 64, including Top Gear Rally and Stunt Racer 64. The company shut its doors in 2002, following issues finding publishers for their future titles. Years before the Game Boy Advance, there was a Game Boy successor in the works codenamed Project Atlantis. Nintendo collaborated with Advanced Risk Machines, or ARM, to develop a 32-bit handheld that reportedly used a 160MHz processor, 4 buttons, and a color LCD screen. In the April 1996 issue of EGM, news of the system was followed by a rumor that Nintendo was working on a game called Mario's Castle, potentially the Atlantis' launch title. However, other than this single blurb in EGM, no mention of Mario's Castle exists publicly. Even if it did exist, it's unlikely that any work was done on it aside from a few rough ideas on paper. Masato Kuwahara, project leader on the DSi, revealed in a 2009 Game Developers Conference talk that Nintendo wasn't satisfied with Atlantis's graphics performance and so scrapped the project entirely. Mario's Castle did not get referenced during the Kuwahara-san GDC discussion, which further supports the theory that production did not go very far, or perhaps even start. One of the few cancelled games starring Mario's arch-rival Wario would be Wario Pool for the Game Boy Color. In 2001, veteran British developers Nick Pelling and Jeff Ferguson pitched a pool billiards game to Nintendo featuring the titular antihero. Little was known about the pitch until Pelling released a short video on his website, giving us a small glimpse of the game's plot. Late one stormy night, Wario receives a phone call from his manager asking if he'll be in the yearly pool championships. Wario says no. Suddenly, two literal pool sharks appear on TV, scoffing that nobody, not even Wario, can beat them at pool. Now furious, Wario decides to join the championships. According to Nick Pelling, despite getting rejected by Nintendo, the Wario pool engine wasn't wasted. It was retooled and used for the Game Boy Color game 3D Pocket Pool, released only in Europe. Mario Artist Soundmaker was planned as the fifth entry in the Mario Artist series for the N64 disk drive, the console's Japanese-only add-on. Developed by the Manchester-based studio Software Creations, Soundmaker was originally bundled with Mario Artist Paint Studio as a single product. However, due to political infighting between Nintendo of America and Nintendo HQ in Japan, the game split in two. While Paint Studio had a Japanese release in December 1999, Sound Studio would never see store shelves. The game was likely canned due to 64DD being a commercial failure, and probably only went as far as a few bare-bones prototypes. An August 1999 article from IGN reported that an unrelated game also called Soundmaker was being planned alongside three additional titles, Game Maker, Video Jockey Maker, and Graphical Message Maker. Contrary to popular belief, none of these games had any connection to the other Soundmaker, or the Mario franchise in general. These were actually a part of a Maker series for the 64DD by developer Randnet. Another planned game for the 64DD would be Super Mario 64 2. Believed to be started around August of 1997, Shigeru Miyamoto and several other Mario 64 team members began working on a co-op system where Mario and Luigi were controlled by a single player, much like Olimar and Louie in the Pikmin series. This idea was inevitable, as a similar split-screen system was briefly tested during the first Mario 64. According to Miyamoto, a functioning co-op prototype was created, but got put on hold to focus on the upcoming Zelda 64. However, after Zelda's production went on much longer than expected, it was made clear that Mario 64 2 would be a late release on the N64 if it were to continue development. In a November 1998 interview with Nintendo Power Source, Miyamoto remarked, Well, for over a year now at my desk, a prototype program of Luigi and Mario has been running around on my monitor. We have been thinking about the game, and it may be something that could work on a completely new game system. Miyamoto's decision to redo the project from scratch would result in a tech demo for the Nintendo GameCube. This was the start of Super Mario 128, a game so infamous that we've already written an entire video on it. Directed by Yoshiaki Koizumi, a demo was unveiled at Space World 2000 that showed a large 8-bit Mario sprite spawning smaller Marios until the numbers of characters on screen reached 
reached 128. The mini Marios would move around a saucer-like plane, interacting with random objects as well as each other. Although Mario 128 was never intended for commercial release, the demo's rapid generating element would find its way to another GameCube game. As said by Miyamoto in a 2007 GDC speech, the one question I'm always asked is, what happened to Mario 128? The purpose of that demo was to show how the new technology in the GameCube could dynamically change the nature of Mario games. So when people ask me what happened to it, I'm always at a loss as to how to answer it, because most of you have already played it. But you played it in a game called Pikmin. In the same speech, Miyamoto revealed that Mario 128's fear-walking gravity mechanic would be implemented in an upcoming game for the Nintendo Wii. That game was Super Mario Galaxy, which was also directed by Yoshiaki Koizumi. When the Game Boy Advance was publicly unveiled at GDC on April 10, 2000, it was presented alongside two tech demos. One, a game where you controlled a baby dolphin across the ocean, and two, a one-level remake of Yoshi's Story for the Nintendo 64. The demo included a new FMV intro and excluded elements from the original game like Yoshi's ability to use his tongue and shoot eggs. While it was received positively and even featured in some early GBA advertisements, the remake never saw release. It's unknown if Nintendo ever planned to do that in the first place. Two ROMs of Yoshi's Story GBA, plus their source code, were found within the handheld's SDK, and both are now safely preserved. Another unreleased tech demo for the GBA is Mario Kart XXL. In 2004, Denaris Entertainment Software, a Germany-based developer founded by Turrican creator Manfred Trenz, created a Mario Kart prototype as a pitch for Nintendo. The game was impressive with parallax scrolling and 3D graphics, but was unfinished due to the inability to pass laps, collect coins, and stop at walls. As per usual, the pitch got rejected for reasons unknown. In 2005, the company released a GBA port of Crazy Frog Racer, which used a seemingly similar engine as Mario Kart XXL. Perhaps this game has a small remnant of the demo within it, but it's hard to know for sure. A prototype cartridge was revealed in 2015 by a collector in the Netherlands, but it is yet to be released online as of this video. And this isn't the only vehicular game on our list. Information on the DS's Mario Motors is few and far between. During a conference at Reboot Developer 2018, Yute Saito, a veteran game designer best known for games like Odema and Seaman, revealed that he pitched a DS title to Miyamoto and Satoru Iwata about creating motor engines. Inspired by Saito-san's love of sculpting, the game would have the player, presumably as Mario, shave a metal chunk into the shape of a cylinder to create an engine. One mechanic in the game was to have the player breathe into the DS to teach them about acceleration, but this got scrapped as they thought it caused children to get out of breath. During the conference, several images of the design document were shown, one of which shows Mario working on the engine alongside an older scientist-type character, possibly a relative to the plumber. When asked why the title was never released, Saito said, I cannot tell you why, but please guess. Before making the Metroid Prime series, Retro Studios worked on a football simulator game for the GameCube. Beginning preliminary development in the summer of 1999, the original design was a Mario-themed family-friendly sports game a la Mario Tennis. According to programmer Jason Hughes, Nintendo wanted to capture a mature audience with the GameCube and suggested the game's Mario theme be dropped entirely. Development would resume in a more serious path, replacing Nintendo's characters with realistic players motion-captured by the Dallas Cowboys. Originally intended as the exclusive football title for the GameCube, it became apparent that companies like Sega and Electronic Arts would be bringing their football games to the system, thus creating fierce competition. Retro Studios attempted to restart the game from scratch with a team of new designers, but they decided the better option was to cancel the game altogether. Despite having, among other things, fully functional networking support, a replay system, and a stadium renderer, the team dissolved in February of 2001, and development was halted indefinitely, never to resume. The football game would not be the only scrapped Mario game by Retro Studios. In May of 2020, concept art for a spin-off game starring Boo was found on the resume of artist Sammy Hill. Sammy, who had previously worked at Retro Studios on games like Metroid Prime 3, revealed on his now-defunct ArtStation profile that the title, codenamed Haunt, was planned for the Nintendo DS around 2006 to 2007. As we can read from the concept art, the game potentially revolved around a young Boo student fresh out of Haunt University. During graduation, Boo gets dipped in a mysterious green goop, which grants him special powers. Using these powers, Boo goes out to fight off witches, zombies, and piranha plants. In an interview with IGN, Hall revealed that the design for Haunt came 
came from ex-Retro Studios leads Mark Piccini, Todd Keller, and Kynan Pearson, but got cancelled the week they went to create their other studios. Days after this interview was published, Hill's social media was mysteriously deleted. While we have no definitive answer for what happened, it's probably safe to assume there were some NDA-related issues. Super Mario Spikers is one of the most well-documented games on our list. Pitched by Next Level Games for the Wii, the title was first designed as Mario Volleyball, but quickly evolved to include elements of wrestling. It soon got renamed to Super Mario Spikers, which was a play on the soccer game Super Mario Strikers for the GameCube. As we can see from leaked concept art and animations, Spikers would have taken place on the set of a game show where Mario characters compete against each other. The winning team would move up to a grander location such as Donkey Kong Island. Note that the game went for a more violent approach by Mario standards, with characters able to stomp on and throw other players across the area. According to an anonymous Next Level artist, Nintendo disapproved of the project as they believed the violent gameplay did not match the company code of honor. An early prototype of Spikers may still exist, but it's unlikely that that one will ever surface. Seven years before the release of Mario plus Rabbids Kingdom Battle, Ubisoft Paris attempted a similar crossover game between the franchises. In an interview conducted by fellow DigiNo gaming researcher Liam Robertson, an anonymous Ubisoft developer revealed the company formed a subversive, self-aware take on the Mario franchise where the Rabbids wreak havoc on the Mushroom Kingdom. Sadly, for reasons unknown, Nintendo rejected the game before a formal pitch happened. All that remains is a single piece of concept art, which shows the Rabbids carrying Bowser away while Mario chases after them. According to Kingdom Battle director Davide Soliani, this pitch had no relation to the 2017 Nintendo Switch game. Did you know gaming attempted to reach out to Soliani for more information, but he couldn't share any additional details without permission from Ubisoft HQ. In November of 2018, Tesla founder Elon Musk was asked on Twitter if the company could add a Mario Kart game to their cars, one where players could race against other Tesla owners while both of their vehicles charge. To the user's surprise, Musk replied, We tried. Nintendo would not license it to us. Considering that Musk is an avid gamer that even included an Atari emulator with some Tesla models, this idea was not that far-fetched. While he didn't specify why Nintendo said no, some have theorized that the Big N had safety concerns Concerns. There's a high chance that a driver could be badly injured while playing Mario Kart in a car, and that's something Nintendo would not want their brand associated with. On April 13, 2013, Nintendo released a sizzle reel promoting the Wii U Virtual Console, including a port of the NES puzzle game Yoshi's Cookie. It never came out. No one knows why. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. <sighs> Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Did you know? Super Mario 3D World's character roster was almost completely different. While it's true that 3D World's four base characters are the same ones that appeared in Super Mario Bros. 2, the game's developers have said that that actually wasn't their inspiration. It just kind of turned out that way. In the previous game in the series, New Super Mario Bros. U, Princess Peach played her traditional role as the damsel in distress, while four men ventured off to save her. She wasn't originally planned as a playable character, 
character in 3D World either. However, series producer Yoshiaki Koizumi wanted to add her for the sake of female representation. He said, I feel like Mario games have done lots of representation of male characters over the years, perhaps much more so than female. So it's actually really nice to be able to have a female playable character in the game. But Shigeru Miyamoto wanted to include her for an entirely different reason, saying, I would add that cat women are sexy and I wanted to see what a cat peach would look like. Haha. Uh -huh. The devs also considered Yoshi, but ultimately decided his moveset just wasn't needed. They said Yoshi's trademark flutter jump is kind of redundant when you've already got Peach's hover jump. Yoshi's eating ability is also already covered by the piranha flowers you can pick up to gulp down your enemies. And besides, 3D World already has a new rideable dinosaur, Plessy, who, unlike Yoshi, can fit four humans on her back at once. In a Japanese magazine Did You Know Gaming had translated, the devs had said that after adding Princess Peach, they still wanted to add one more female character. They thought about making Daisy unlockable in the post-game, but ultimately decided she wasn't special enough, as her silhouette is just too similar to Peach's. They ended up picking Rosalina instead, reasoning that each of the game's worlds takes Mario higher and higher, so it makes sense that he'd eventually enter outer space. In that same magazine, the devs pointed out that long before 3D World was available to the public, Rosalina and the post-game were actually hinted at in the game's promotional artwork. If someone happened to zoom way into the top corner, they would have discovered the Comet Observatory hiding behind the final Bowser world. When 3D World was brought over to the Nintendo Switch, the game almost got even more female representation. Peeking inside 3D World's internal data reveals the developers spent some time working on Toadette as a new playable character, the same way she was added to New Super Mario Bros. U, when that game was ported to the Nintendo Switch just a couple of years earlier. In Super Mario Bros. U, Toadette runs faster and stops quicker than Mario, Luigi, and Toad. She can also transform into Peachette, who uses her dress to glide through the air. Rooting around in the internal data for 3D World plus Bowser's Fury, a modder named Nicolox discovered 214 animations created just for Toadette, as well as a voice clip meant for the character select screen. Unfortunately, the internal data does not include her character model, but Toadette does make a small cameo appearance in Bowser's Fury in her Captain Toad outfit. By applying the Bowser's Fury model to 3D World's unused data, we can see that Toadette had animations for all 3D World's movesets, cutscenes, and power-ups. However, there are no traces of a Peachette transformation, so it seems she probably would have relied on boosted stats, like faster running and acceleration, or maybe higher jumps. Mario Galaxy 2's director was Koichi Hayashida, a man who considers himself something of a Miyamoto scholar. He carries around a notepad with him that has every piece of advice Miyamoto ever gave him, and he even gives seminars preaching Miyamoto's development philosophies. After finishing Galaxy 2, he went to Miyamoto and pitched his idea for a new sort of Mario game, a 3DS title that could bridge the gap between 2D and 3D Mario. The central focus was bringing back the classic goal pole, but this time in three dimensions. Hayashida said he was a nervous wreck pitching the goal pole and was relieved when Miyamoto enthusiastically approved of his idea. But after 3D Land was finished and it was time to make a sequel on the Wii U, Hayashida felt the goal pole had actually become a limitation he wanted to get rid of. He realized a lot of the fun in the previous 3D Marios was the element of searching, like hunting for stars and giant sprites. So Hayashida's team experimented with open world stages for 3D World, and he went to Miyamoto to ask permission to leave goal poles in the past and to try something different. However, Miyamoto told him the goal poles had to stay. But Hayashida still wanted to incorporate that element of searching, so his team came up with a new style of gameplay based on miniature 3D models called dioramas. While they were developing the idea, they realized those dioramas would have to be pretty big if Mario was allowed to jump in them. They wanted to make tiny worlds, but not big ones. And it was almost blasphemous to imagine taking away Mario's jumping ability. So they decided their idea was better suited for another franchise. And when they considered which Nintendo characters wouldn't necessarily jump, they all agreed Link from The Legend of Zelda would be the perfect fit. So the team built a tech demo and tried to get approval by Miyamoto 
who was so puzzled by their presentation that he thought they were pitching him a physical product and asked how they were planning to manufacture them. But once they told Miyamoto the dioramas were actually for a video game, he rejected the proposal as well, but said it was good enough that they could use it in 3D World as a minigame. Racking their brains for a Mario character they could substitute for Link, they ultimately landed on Captain Toad from Mario Galaxy, reasoning that his backpack was so heavy he wouldn't be able to jump. In the end, six Captain Toad stages made their way into 3D World, and Miyamoto loved how they turned out so much that he let the devs spin it off into its own game, which released as Captain Toad Treasure Tracker a year later. Even with the Captain Toad rebrand, in many ways, Treasure Tracker is still a Zelda game at its core, which Hayashida says is why the game's first boss is a fire-breathing dragon, and this whole series of events probably also influenced the style of the next Zelda game, the remake of Link's Awakening, which was made to look like a diorama with a 10-centimeter Link. The game was even promoted with the real-life diorama at E3 2019. Not counting the Captain Toad stages, 3D World consists of 87 main levels, but during development, the Mario team came up with thousands of level ideas that didn't make the final cut. According to Hayashida, the first thing we do is decide on a concept for a stage that really drives how a player will be experiencing it. It's something we all get together to discuss. We get a lot of post-it notes and we just put up hundreds of them onto the wall and start looking at them and discussing them. And out of 100 ideas on all of these notes, we might end up only using one or two of these ideas generated. Some are completely crazy ideas. And it wasn't just unused level designs. According to co-director Kenta Motokura, the developers playtested tons of ideas that went unused in 3D World's final build. New Super Mario Bros. U has a multiplayer coin battle mode, where everyone competes to see who can get the most coins before reaching each stage's goal pole. In an interview we translated, the developers revealed that coin battle was their original consideration for multiplayer in 3D World as well. But at some point, they realized a scoring system had never been used in 3D Mario before. So instead of competing for coins in 3D World's multiplayer, they made it about competing for points. They even considered adding a special option for for players who own a 3D TV, so the game could be played in actual 3D, just like its predecessor on the 3DS. But when they found out players were gonna have to wear 3D glasses, they decided a true 3D mode was probably more trouble than it was worth. 3D World's internal data reveals even more ideas that got scrapped from both the Wii U original and the Nintendo Switch versions. Stored with all the player icons, there's an unused hand icon which seems to imply the devs considered having a fifth player. In New Super Mario Bros. U, a fifth player could use the gamepad to make platforms, stun enemies, and pop bubbles to help others beat levels and nab all the collectibles. It appears a similar concept was explored for 3D World, but ultimately got cut. There's also some unused music hiding in the data. The track you're hearing now was labeled Test Beat Sync, which suggests the developers were using it to experiment with beat block stages. That said, it doesn't sync up with the two beat block stages used in the game's final build. Both those stages have blocks that shift on a consistent beat, but the test track sounds like it was made for a beat block stage that shifts on an inconsistent beat, which might have looked something like this. The data also shows that at one point, Captain Toad was capable of using cannon boxes, and with hacking, he can still use them in the final build. Now, let's talk about what's hiding in Bowser's Fury's data, like the new item called the Giga Mushroom, which can still be accessed with hacks. To be clear, this isn't the old Mega Mushroom seen in past Mario titles. This is the Giga Mushroom. Touching it as normal Mario temporarily turns him into a gigantic Giga Mario, and when Cat Mario touches it, he turns into Giga Cat Mario. The developers clearly put work into this new item, but they never got around to setting up a camera angle for it, and for some reason, ended up deciding not to include it in Bowser's Fury. Another interesting hint is that the internal files responsible for Fury Shadows are labeled Shadow Mario Data, suggesting that instead of Luigi, it was originally supposed to be Shadow Mario running around Lake Lapcat, which actually makes a lot of sense when you consider his reoccurring role in Isle Delfino and all the similarities between Sunshine and Bowser's Fury. But even though many of the team's ideas were never realized, one of the best features that got used in 3D World wasn't an idea. It was actually a mistake. Monokura explained the accidental 
creation of the Double Cherry just after the game's launch, saying, Well, actually, we discovered that when a staff member made a mistake with the placement tool and put in two player Marios. When we saw that, we thought it was great. So we went ahead and put that into the game. It was completely by chance. We scrambled to readjust the game so this feature would make it into the final product. If the game had locked up with two identical characters on the level, I don't think we would have the double Mario feature we have now. Miyamoto added that if their accident-prone coder had simply fixed their mistake without alerting the team to its potential, double cherries would never have existed. Another coincidence that impacted 3D World was that its release just so happened to coincide with the 30th anniversary of Mario Brothers on the Famicom Disk System, the first game Nintendo acknowledges Luigi's appearance in. After Nintendo informed Hayashida they were going to celebrate 2013 as the Year of Luigi, he personally rewrote the code of Mario Brothers to create Luigi Bros, a mini-game starring two Luigis that he added to 3D World's title screen. His team also hit dozens of pixel Luigis throughout the game. Some of them are tiny, like the one that pops out of the World 1-2 icon if you wait long enough, and another you can see outrunning the bullet bill train in World 3. There's also some huge pixel Luigis, like off the coast of the game's first castle, and the Man in the Moon Luigi you can only see in the beam of the dark stage if you hit the goal pole with 30 seconds left on the timer. Many pixel Luigis were also hidden in New Super Luigi U, and continued long after the year of Luigi ended in games like Captain Toad Treasure Tracker, Super Mario Odyssey, and even in Bowser's Fury. Most of the Luigis in Lake Lapcat haven't been found yet, so if you spot one, let us know in the comments down below where you found it. Speaking of Luigi, he's also objectively the best character in the game, at least according to Luigi Master, the fastest 3D world player on the planet. Capable of reaching and defeating Meowser in under 90 minutes, Luigi Master holds the world record speed run in both the Wii U and Switch games. He was actually the world champion when this video entered production, lost the crown as we were finishing it up, and then took it back before the video went live. While he was duking it out for the world record, he generously took time to sit with Digino Gaming and explain just what exactly makes Luigi so good. Luigi Master said, Since Luigi is the most slippery character, he can crouch jump and vector better than the other characters. And on Switch, roll jumping then crouch jumping is even faster than cat momentum, and Luigi's great at both of those maneuvers. To elaborate, by roll jumping then immediately crouch jumping, players can build crazy momentum to blaze through entire stages in a match of seconds. A lot of 3D World fans probably don't know what vectoring even is. As Luigi Master explains it, vectoring is when you curve a jump left and right in mid-air, which gains even more speed. When Nintendo revealed the Switch version was to increase all the characters' running speeds, many fans predicted it would have a huge effect on the speedrunning community. But in reality, it didn't have much of an effect at all, as the top players don't spend a lot of time actually running. They've got much better ways to get ahead, like the roll-jump-crouch-jump combo. And of course, the incredible speeds only possible with the catsuit. While running speeds were increased on the Switch, their jump height was also decreased. But Luigi can still jump higher than everyone else, so he's still capable of clearing some jumps that other characters could only achieve on the Wii U. Although to be fair, Luigi Master admits there are some stages that are faster with other characters, so Luigi does get a few well-earned breaks over the course of a 90-minute speedrun. From unused gamepad features to game modes and all those unused level ideas, Hayashida and his team had more than enough leftover ideas to build a sequel. He said a hypothetical Mario 3D World 2 would probably use even more of the Wii U's gamepad features, like the touchscreen, microphone, gyroscope, and motion sensing. 3D World was the second best-selling game on the Wii U, which was definitely enough to justify a follow-up. But disappointing sales of the console itself shattered the possibility of a Wii U sequel. In fact, a lot of the gamepad features eventually got cut from the Nintendo Switch version, like blowing into the microphone to scatter the enemies and move platforms. So if a sequel ever gets made, it'll be impossible for it to be the sort of game Hayashida originally envisioned. But who knows, maybe we'll get something even better. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. 
Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Did you know? Even though there's over 1,000 Mario fan games running around the internet, Nintendo's only used a DMCA takedown on about 15 of them. A Digital Millennium Copyright Act takedown notice usually demands the removal of copyrighted material by or on behalf of a copyright holder. To get an idea of why only 1% of fan games get stomped out by these takedowns while the rest live on in peace, we spoke with Mario Fan Games Galaxy, a site that's been around for 20 years and hosts over 1,200 homemade Mario games. They told us Nintendo isn't really bothered by fan games unless they threaten the sales of official games. Only then does Nintendo call out the ninjas. According to MFGG, Nintendo does not go after all fan games. Rather, they seem to mostly target remakes of existing Nintendo games. This is probably because they don't want people to freely download games they're currently selling, which is also the reason they went hard on ROM sharing sites. It is not risky to make a Nintendo fan game. If you don't remake an existing game and don't try to profit from it, the risk of getting your fan game taken down is close to none. It is worth noting that Nintendo plays by a different rulebook when it comes to Pokemon fan games as well as lewd fan games, but that's another video. Today, we're focusing on Mario games. Out of the 15 or so Mario games Nintendo did DMCA, three of those games are all developed by just one man. Kei's Amanuar, the Mario DMCA record holder. The first game that attracted Nintendo's attention was Last Impact, possibly the most ambitious fan-made Mario 64 sequel ever. Kay's told Did You Know Gaming, It is a full 130-star long game with all new content, NPCs, enemies, bosses, levels, and a new soundtrack. It's basically what Mario Galaxy 2 was compared to Mario Galaxy 1, as far as content and scale. The first thing you'll notice booting up Last Impact is the file select screen. Instead of just a simple menu, you run around the entryway of Peach's Castle and select a door. Last Impact's first stage is Wildlife Valley, a swampy nature reserve where touching fuzzies makes you loopy, just like they did in Yoshi's Island. Throughout the course of the game, you will also explore Sky High Islands, Bowser's Castle, and a Rainbow Road stage that pays homage to both Mario Kart and Mario Galaxy. The original Super Mario 64 has the castle as its one hub world, but Last Impact has three. The castle grounds, an abandoned village, then eventually you will launch a spaceship to the moon. It has new power-ups like the spider mushroom that lets Mario spawn strings to hang from in midair, and there's also some old power-ups like the classic invincibility star, the fire flower, rideable Yoshi, and a paper mushroom that makes Mario two-dimensional, just like in Paper Mario. Kay's spent about 4,000 hours on Last Impact's development, but just one month after he completed the project, Nintendo shut him down with a DMCA. Unlike most fan game developers, Kay's isn't phased by DMCAs. So in 2017, he released Super Mario 64 Maker, which is exactly what it sounds like, the traditional Mario Maker formula, but in three dimensions. You can pick from 15 themes, add up to 20 stars to each level, and even choose the music. Modders have been making their own Mario 64 levels for years, but 64 Maker simplified the experience, giving fans with no modding skills the chance to craft their own 3D worlds. All you need to build a stage is a Nintendo 64 controller and a good idea. Kaze's trailer video announcing Mario 64 Maker pulled in over a million views on YouTube, and thousands of fans shared their custom levels online, with YouTubers and streamers trying them out for the world to see. In 2019, a fan named Foxen even used it to build a full 121-star game called Cursed Castles. And it got pretty popular, drawing the attention of reviewers and speedrunners. But, of course, the fun couldn't last forever. Super Mario 64 Maker managed to survive for three years, but a few months before this video was made, Nintendo struck it down with a DMCA, and even pulled the trailer from YouTube. Still refusing to admit defeat, a year later, Kay's released Super Mario 64 Online, the classic game that we all know and love, but with up to 24 players all running around at once. Of course, the natural choices like Luigi, Yoshi, and Peach were all there, but the roster also included some characters you might not expect. Rosalina, Goomba, Kirby, and even Sonic and Knuckles. Every character controls mostly the same as Mario, but also has some unique ability. For example, Sonic is the fastest and can spin dash, but he can't wall jump. 
Waluigi can climb steep slopes and double jump, but his weakness is having less health. 24 players can all share the same server with free movement, so while a few friends are off in bob -omb Battlefield, everyone else might be at Womp's Fortress, or anywhere else in the castle. The game attracted a huge following, with about 200,000 players joining the fray, and some big YouTubers to boot. But predictably, Nintendo Ninjas hit K's with another DMCA. He says they even went after his YouTube channel, saying it always sucks to get DMCA'd. With Last Impact, it wasn't a huge deal, since that wasn't a strike on YouTube. But with Super Mario 64 Online, they hit me with YouTube Strikes, which has the risk of killing my channel. Most of the DMCA recipients we spoke to were scared into submission, or accepted the takedown as an inevitability and agreed to ride off into the sunset. But Kaze refuses to let his games die and continues releasing update patches to this very day, even though Nintendo is still going after him. Kaze said, I've been uploading patches ever since the first DMCA, which legally is something they can't really take down. That means now they can only DMCA the YouTube videos because they have Mario running around in them, which feels like a pretty low blow. I just end up uploading a black screen with a download attached if I believe they want to delete that game from the internet. He also mentioned that some fans put his games on Nintendo 64 cartridges and distribute them online, though he was quick to point out they're acting all on their own, and he keeps his hands clean when it comes to physical carts or making a profit. But the DMCA list isn't all sequels and online escapades. There's also been some interesting ports, remakes, and even demakes. The original Mario Bros. game was officially released on the Atari in the early 80s. But when Super Mario Bros. launched two years later, Nintendo kept it exclusive to the NES. Imagining a world where Nintendo and Atari's partnership lasted a little longer, animator Chris Spry developed an unofficial Atari port called Princess Rescue. The 2600's primitive technology forced some interesting compromises like using the ball from Pong as Mario's fireballs, and only included half the stages so it would fit on a 32kb cartridge. Long before Chris finished the game, Princess Rescue was attracting a lot of attention online, so he teamed up with Atari Age to manufacture physical carts complete with a box and manual. But it wasn't long before a video review from IGN attracted dangerous levels of attention, and Nintendo shut the whole thing down with a DMCA in the summer of 2013. Due to its limited release, Princess Rescue became increasingly rare and sought after by collectors, with sealed copies auctioning off for upwards of $500. Chris told Did You Know Gaming, All the produced games sold, so a little over 300 physical copies are out there in the wild somewhere. And yes, I do have my own personal copy of the game in the box with manual, and it will always stay with me. Around the same time Chris was getting DMCA'd, a programmer codenamed Zero Page was starting up a Super Mario Bros. port of his own, but this time for the Commodore 64, an early 80s system with a little more horsepower than the Atari. Unlike Princess Rescue, Super Mario Bros. 64 included all 32 stages and was a near-perfect one-to-one port, although the differences in tech resulted in some small audio and visual distinctions. Most fans believed a faithful Commodore port was impossible until Zero Page proved them wrong and released it in a format playable on both emulators and the Commodore 64 itself in 2019. But after seven years in development, Super Mario Bros. 64 only survived three days on the internet before Nintendo's legal department issued a series of DMCAs, ordering a takedown to every website hosting a download link. In 2015, indie developer Roy Stan Ross released Super Mario 64 HD, a 1080p Unity remake of bob -omb Battlefield running in 60 frames per second. It immediately blew up in popularity, pulling in more than a million players, and Touch Arcade even ported the game to iPhone 6. Rather than the full game, Roy Stan released Mario 64's first stage as something of a tech demo, along with the source code so other indie developers could add on to it. It took him months to rebuild bob -omb Battlefield, so he figured maybe the community could pick up the torch and finish the game in its entirety. But then, you know, he got DMCA'd, so that never happened. No Man's Sky was the talk of the town back in 2016, so indie developer ASMB Games came up with a mashup they called No Mario Sky. The game's levels are curved planets, and instead of just running right, Mario can explore in any direction, left, right, and even up. After Muscle Toad tells you the princess is on another planet, Mario jumps into a spaceship and explores the stars in search of a seemingly infinite number of randomly generated stages. No Mario Sky featured some unique Goomba designs, including one that went semi-viral because everyone thought it was based on Donald Trump. 
but one of the developers, Alex McDonald, told Did You Know Gaming it actually just had weird hair and its resemblance to Trump was just a coincidence. No Mario Sky probably wasn't threatening the sales of real Mario games, but the connection to No Man's Sky and a perceived Trump reference might have been too much to stomach for Nintendo. One week and 95,000 downloads later, it was hit with the DMCA. The developers told us they quote, pooped their pants when they found out. But after some thought, decided to turn their lemons into lemonade. They renamed the game No DMCA Sky and slapped a space helmet on Mario's head so he no longer resembled Nintendo's IP. Goombas became Moombas, and Princess Peach became Princess Mango, and instead of World 1-1, the first stage was named World DMCA, DMCA. The devs built the original game in just three days as part of a game jam, so they had lots of leftover ideas they didn't have time to put in. But considering all the legal complications, they decided to abandon any connection to Mario and instead use all those ideas to build a brand new, much more polished game they called Deep Sky. Another remake that caught a lot of attention was Full Screen Mario, a sort of deluxe edition of Super Mario Bros. The most recognizable upgrade is the widescreen format, but it also lets players choose any of the game's 32 stages right from the start. Full Screen Mario also lets you build your own stages, and even had a level generator with a near-infinite number of randomized maps. Keep in mind this was in 2013, a year before Nintendo announced they were developing Mario Maker on Wii U which might have been how full-screen Mario found its way onto their DMCA shortlist. Its immense popularity probably didn't help either. The game was playable directly in your browser with no download required, and the site drew in more than 2.5 million visitors, up until Nintendo stomped it one month later. We spoke with Full Screen Mario's creator, Josh Goldberg, who told Did You Know Gaming that it was born from a desire to capture the nostalgia of the original, while also adding some features for younger gamers who find the original outdated. When asked if he had plans to expand the game even further, he said, The biggest addition was going to be real-time multiplayer online. I also wanted to add in the features from Super Mario Bros. Deluxe, namely Red Coins, Yoshis, and the extra levels. And some kind of fixed map battle situation akin to Super Smash Bros. would have been cool too. Imagine if you and a few friends were placed at random positions in a Super Mario Bros. level and you could run anywhere in the map. Then each of you get a fixed number of lives and can respawn after a few seconds when you die. Maybe jumping on someone's head damages them. I think that would be really fun. Unfortunately, Josh's vision for full-screen Mario was never realized, but a few of those ideas got a second chance six years later. In 2019, more than a year before Nintendo announced Super Mario 35, YouTuber Inferno Plus was sitting around with a friend talking about how oversaturated the Battle Royale scene had become. He told us, I believe the thing I said to my friend was, you could turn literally anything into a Battle Royale. I bet I can do it. My intention was just to make a Battle Royale for a joke, but it turned out to be a pretty good idea. What he ended up with was Mario Royale, the classic Super Mario Bros. experience, but with 99 online Marios all at once. Finishing in first, second, or third earned you the good ending, but everyone else got dropped into lava. Did you know gaming asked Inferno Plus if there was more content he would have added if not for the DMCA, and he said, Yeah, I had a sort of roadmap in my head. I wanted to get all the basic features people had asked for added in, then I was going to release the map editing tool I had used to make the levels for the game, and let people make custom maps. But, of course, the game was slapped with a DMCA. Inferno Plus expected that might happen, however, so he changed the game to DMCA Royale, starring a new character named Infringio, and his brother, Copyright Infringio. But Nintendo said that wasn't good enough and quickly shut down DMCA Royale as well. Now, a year later, all that remains is the website's goodbye page, which regretfully informed its fans that you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself get contacted by Nintendo lawyers. Sorry, your battle royale is in another castle. There's a few more Mario DMCAs we didn't touch on, mostly because they were too similar to other games in this video, like Super Mario Remaker and another version of Super Mario 64 HD. Or because they were just a little too spicy for YouTube, like Peach's Untold Tale. We'd like to bring this episode to a close by asking Nintendo to not strike down this video. Did you know? Nintendo has never had any real interest in seeing Mario faithfully adapted to the big or small screen. They usually have very little input on productions and choose to not exercise creative control. British director Roland Joffe originally negotiated for the rights to the Super Mario Bros. movie. Regarding Nintendo, Joffe said, I think they looked at the movie as some sort of strange creature that was kind of rather intriguing to see if we could walk or not. 
Nintendo considered the movie an experiment, and believed Mario was a strong brand that wouldn't be ruined by a bad movie. History had proven that this was the case, as Mario had made appearances in film and television for a decade before the movie. Mario first appeared on TV very shortly after the character's debut in video games. In 1983, CBS aired Saturday Supercade, which featured animated shorts based on popular video games of the time. These included Frogger, Hubert, Pitfall, Donkey Kong, and Donkey Kong Jr. Three years later, Japan had their own take on an animated Mario adventure called Super Mario Brothers, the great mission to rescue Princess Peach. It's generally considered to be the world's first feature film based on a video game, although it was never released outside of Japan. It remains today in relative obscurity, having only a single publishing run on VHS and Betamax. The design for Luigi in the movie has a peculiar yellow and blue color palette. This is likely due to early promotional artwork for Luigi having a more varied range of colors. In 2014, Super Smash Bros. for the Wii U and 3DS included an alternate costume for Luigi based on his clothing from the film. Super Mario 64 also has a connection to the film. The way Mario swings Bowser around by the tail during boss battles was first seen in the movie a decade prior. In the year 1989, two separate Mario animated series debuted, one from Japan and one from the United States. The Japanese program was a series of direct-to-video specials based on fairy tales but starring Mario characters. The American animated series was a recurring Saturday morning entertainment block called the Super Mario Brothers Super Show. The late Lou Albano, the actor who played Mario, began his career as a professional wrestler in 1950. He was approached by Deke with an offer to play Mario. At first, Albano wasn't interested, as he needed to shave off his trademark beard for the show's live-action segments. He was eventually talked into accepting the role by his wife and his friend, talk show host Regis Philbin. Lou Albano appeared on Live with Regis and Kathy Lee to promote the upcoming Super Mario show. Albano used his slot on the show to shave his beard in front of a live audience. The Super Mario Brothers Super Show had a series of spin-offs and rebrandings, but the most peculiar was a local broadcast from Southern California called King Koopa's Cool Cartoons. In the show, King Koopa would act as an MC between segments of cartoons. All of the animation from the Koopa Show were public domain, and ironically, none of the Mario cartoons were played. Nintendo was approached multiple times by big Hollywood studios wanting the rights to a Super Mario film. They were offered $5 million and even $10 million, but they ultimately settled with a small-time production company for $2 million. Interestingly enough, the first script that was presented to Nintendo was drastically different from the film that played in theaters. Originally, the movie was going to be a more comedic and fantasy-based story in the same vein as Shrek. The script's characters were more faithful to their video game counterparts. This included a reptilian Bowser that was intended to be played by Arnold Schwarzenegger. There were actual turtle-like Koopa Troopas, mushroom-like Goombas, and even a fungus-based Toad. Toad originally had a larger role in the movie, as a wise-cracking sidekick similar to his role in the American animated series. This draft of the script was written by Jim Genowine and Tom S. Parker, a duo that would later write the Flintstones live-action movie. The team had trouble getting a studio to buy the project, so the director and writers were fired and new staff was brought in. Husband and wife Rocky Morton and Annamel Jankel were hired to direct the film, neither of whom had any particular interest in video games. Jankel recalled, I don't think either of us had ever fully involved ourselves in the game at all, which might have something to do with the end result. We played it for research. It's a bit like if you're doing an adaptation of something. You do your due diligence. But it's not like we were all up through the night playing it. The original fantasy-based script was repurposed at this point, and the familiar concept of a parallel world with humanoid reptiles was retrofitted into the old story. In fact, the writers already had a concept for a parallel world, and they simply adapted the film's characters to their pre-existing idea. A number of revisions were made to the script by new employees, and a creative tug-of-war ensued. One version had a direct reference to Die Hard, and Bruce Willis was intended to make a cameo. Another version took the self-aware sensibilities of Ghostbusters and portrayed Mario as a sleazy Bill Murray-type character. Actual production began with a new draft that was gritty and action-packed, with strong political depth and social commentary. These mature themes are what originally attracted actors Bob Hoskins, Dennis Hopper, and Fiona Shaw to the production. But by the time they got on set, they were handed a completely different script. These mid-production rewrites happened so often that some of the actors stopped bothering to memorize their lines, knowing they'd be given new lines the next day. Bob Hoskins accepted the role of Mario, having no idea that the movie was based on a video game. He'd never heard of Mario before, and was made aware of the source material by his son well after filming had begun. Hoskins claims that Super Mario Brothers was one of the lowest points in his career. The worst thing I ever did, Super Mario Brothers. It was a nightmare. It had a husband and wife directing whose arrogance had been mistaken for talent. After so many weeks, their own agent told them to get off the set. John Leguizamo later recalled the bizarre nature of the production with an interview for Super Mario Brothers The Movie Archive. 
That whole disco scene? They hired a whole bunch of strippers, and they were too scantily clad, because this was, you know, a children's video game. And that was conflicting for everybody. It was not an easy shoot because the ladies wanted to reveal everything. We didn't mind, but it wasn't the appropriate PG rating we were looking for. The film exhausted Hoskins and Leguizamo so much that they eventually started drinking scotch in between takes. The movie was tumultuous for everyone involved, but it was particularly dangerous for those on the sets. Many of the crew members were injured and electrically shocked. Bob Hoskins refused to use stunt doubles and as a result sustained multiple injuries during filming. He was shocked by electricity, stabbed four times, and nearly drowned. One stunt involved Leguizamo driving a van and slamming on the brakes while Hoskins held onto the outside. Upon slamming the brakes on the first take, the sliding door slammed shut and broke Bob Hoskins' fingers. Hoskins' right hand was in a cast through the rest of the movie. The team's costume designer simply painted the cast to disguise it. I fixed it. The film took another strange turn after Disney bought the rights to the Super Mario movie partway through production. Designer David Snyder speculated that Disney wanted access to Nintendo's characters to integrate them into the Disneyland theme park. When Disney inspected what they thought was going to be a family-friendly production, they found a movie with references to drugs, prostitution, and Mad Max-style desert death races. Naturally, this caused yet another rewrite, and the tone was made completely family-friendly despite taking place in a dingy, dark, and derelict city environment. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.